Well, welcome everybody. We're going to continue where we were last week talking about spiritual worship. So we're going to jump right back in at Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and beg you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. And it's really talking about surrendering, surrendering to God. It says our bodies, our members, our faculties, everything about us needs to be surrendered, whether it's our plans, our goals, our family, our bodies, everything, finances, it gets surrendered to God and it's referred to as your spiritual worship. And then, of course, the next verse really explains how we do that. And it tells us that we do it by renewing our mind or by changing the way that we think. We can't think like the world thinks and live the way God wants us to live. We're going to have to change the way that we're thinking. And the reason God gave us a Bible was so we could think his thoughts, read what he says, understand his will, his purpose for our lives. Now, in Psalms 137, trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, when we read that verse, most people think, well, uh, the desires of my heart, I want a new house, I want a new car, I want a vacation, I want this, I want that, right? But this is really talking about something very, very different than that. The Hebrew word here that's used delight means to be soft and pliable. So when we're soft and pliable to the Spirit of God, He gives us the desires of our heart. He puts desires inside of us. In Philippians 2.13, He says, For God Himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want the things that please Him. So God puts desires. You want what pleases Him. When your heart is soft and pliable, God puts that down on the inside of you. He puts a desire in you. Jeannie and I lived in Mexico for, for seven years. and two of those years, we lived in a village with the Otomi Indians. And I worked with a man named Benancio Hernandez. He was in his mid-60s at that time. I was in my mid-20s. And he was about four foot ten, two twenty. Solid as a rock. Had a second grade education. He had started way over 100 churches. And, and he was like my mentor. He, he took me under his wing. We evangelized together and started churches together. I was happy, 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 happy. Jeannie and I, we loved what we were doing. In fact, I used to think, how could anybody pastor in America? I mean, preaching to the same bunch of people every week. I mean, they are just missing God. They should be out here evangelizing with us, starting churches with us. If more pastors were abiding in Christ, fewer would be abiding in America. And we, you know, we're missionaries and we're like, we are God's Navy SEALs. You know, and people in the States, they're just wimps. My attitude was, you know, if you ever went to the States, well, that would be like the end. But what we're doing, this is the will of God. This is right front line stuff getting out in these villages where they've never heard the gospel and preaching. God puts in my heart that we're supposed to leave this village and we're supposed to go to Guadalajara and I'm going to teach in a Bible school. 
And literally, it was like this total different dream was just birthed in my heart almost, almost instantly. And I got to thinking, man, you know, we've got so many traditions here in the, and we can get young people before they're full of these traditions and we can teach them. And, and so I went to Jeannie and I said, Jeannie, this is what I believe God wants. And she said, that's not the will of God. She said, look at all the good we're doing here. Look at how much still needs to be done. Look at the people getting saved every week. Look at the churches that are getting started. And she says, no, God's will is for us to stay here. And we had planned to stay there the rest of our lives. That was our plan. So I said to Jeannie, I said, you just pray about it. Just pray about it. So she did. Now, we loved our village. We're going to get a little house there, and we're going to stay there the rest of our lives. And I'm gone for three, four days preaching up in the mountains. And when I come back late at night, like 1 o'clock in the morning, maybe even later, Jeannie is waiting for me at the door. And she says to me, she says, have you ever seen our village? And I thought, what's a stupid question? I've lived here for two years. Of course I've seen our village. Right? And she begins to tell me everything that's wrong with our village. The deal was last week there was nothing wrong. But now all of a sudden everything's wrong. There was like the, the main center of town, and then there was a river, and we lived just on the other side of that river. And once you cross the river, this bridge, there's no more public bathrooms. So what people from the, the outskirts would do, they would come right in front of our house and defecate, like 30, 40, 50 of them a day. Now, it never bothered Jeannie before, but all of a sudden she says, have you noticed what people do right in front of our house every day right before they go in the village? And then she said, you know, our son Josh, he was just about to turn two years old this time little Dutch guy, and he had this white hair, and then he had blue eyes. Well, most of the people in that village had never seen a person with blue eyes in their life. And so every place we take our little boy, they'd come up to Jeannie, and they'd all want to touch him, touch his hair, because it's blunt. And then they'd look at his eyes, and they'd say, can he see? And Jeannie says, yeah, he can see. And they say, well, does he see blue? Because they'd never seen blue eyes. And Jeannie would say, well, do you see brown? Oh, you know. And whenever we'd take them, all the little kids would come and gather around and throw all their toys in front of them and just want to watch him. He's turned into a little brat. But there, she had this list of like 30 or 40 things that were wrong with our village that a week before didn't bother her a bit. She says, I want to leave. And I said, well, you know, three months or so, we'll leave. She says, no, I want to leave tonight. Now, we, we stayed for three months. But now here's what happened. God took her grace away and put a different desire in her heart. So often when it's time for change, God just takes the grace that he gave you, the desire he gave you to be doing what you're doing, and puts a different desire in your heart. God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. Philippians 2, verse 13. So many times in church what people tell us is this, do the opposite of what you want to do, and that's what God's will is. If you will just do the opposite of what you want, that'll be God. Now, if you're living in the flesh, that's true. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, if anyone's in Christ, you're a brand new person on the inside. God makes you new on the inside. You're a child of God. You've got the life and the nature of God on the inside of you. Jeremiah 10, 23. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. You know, God will put that desire Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. 
God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. When we know what God wants, we still need to know how to do it because we need to do it God's way. When King David becomes king, the Ark of the Covenant is at the house of Obed-Edom. And David consults with the people and the leaders and he said, shall we bring the Ark? And everybody says, yes. Now you remember the Philistines had taken the Ark in a war and their plagues had come. And so they brought the ark back. And the Bible says when they brought it back, they put it on a cart, an ox-drawn cart. And so what David did, he put it on an ox-drawn cart. And as they were going, the Bible says the oxen stumbled and Uzzah was driving and he put out his hand and he touched the ark and he instantly died. And David said, man, I can't bring the ark to Jerusalem. And he just left it. Three months later, he says, let's bring the ark. And he says, and let the Levites carry it on two poles, the way God said that the ark had to be carried. And then they brought the ark into Jerusalem, and it was a tremendous blessing. But he tried to do God's will the first time man's way. But later, he was doing the will of God God's way. And that's what it talks about in Romans 12, 2. It tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way that you think, that you may be able to prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. It's through the word that we're going to find out how to do what God puts in our heart to do. Because we not only need to do the will of God, we need to do it the way God tells us to do it. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, for by grace... You've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. So grace means it's undeserved. You did not work for it. So you're saved by grace. You didn't do anything. In fact, this is what Christianity is. It's different than in other religions. Every religion except Christianity is people reaching to God, trying to reach God. What can I do? Where Christianity, when it's done right, is God reaching to you? You didn't initiate the effort. God initiated the effort. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, God sent Jesus to die for us. So it's by grace, unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor that you're saved. God took the initiative. You respond by faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not your work. You didn't get yourself all cleaned up. And then God say, oh, you're so wonderful. I'll save you. You know, occasionally when we're talking with somebody who's not right with God, they'll say, well, I just got to get rid of my drinking and I got to get rid of my drugs and I got to get rid of this. And then I can come to God. Listen, God cleans his own fish. So you just come to God the way you are and God, he'll, he'll take care of the rest. Because God's not going to save you because of how good you are. He saves you in spite of yourself. It's not that God looked and said, oh, they're so good, I'll save them. It's just the opposite. But here's what Christians often think. They think, well, if you want something, I've heard people say this. If you want something from God, what you need to do is find a new Christian and get that new Christian to pray for you. Because they're in this honeymoon time, and they just get everything they ask for. How many ever heard something similar to that? Kind of wave at me. I've heard that so many times. 
But here's the, here's the truth of the matter. New Christians know God did not save them because of how good they've been. They know it's by grace. And they know anything they're going to receive from God is by grace. And so they just come by grace and receive by faith. But what happens when you've been saved for a while, you think, God, you need, you need to do this. You know I read my Bible. You know I pray. And I change diapers in the nursery for you. God, this is a big deal. And God, you know how good I am. And I give at church in Jesus' name. And it, what, what we do is we look at our performance and say, God, because I do this and because I do that and because I do the next thing, God, you owe me. But the Bible says it's not of works, least anyone should boast. That's how you get saved, but that's also how everything happens in the kingdom of God. It's not of works, least anyone boasts. Everything we receive, it's by grace, unmerited favor, undeserved, unworked for. And then we just respond in faith to what God has done. It's not that there's a honeymoon period for new Christians. It's that they just understand God didn't save me because I was good, because I wasn't good. And they don't expect anything because they're good. Pointing out our sin won't stop anybody from receiving Jesus. We can tell people, you're bad, you did this, you did that, but they don't come because they're good. They come by grace. They realize, I don't deserve this. But the problem is that later, we think we're going to receive from God because of what we've done. Now listen, God saves sinners. He saves adulterers. He saves murderers. He saves every sort of perverted person you can think of. Now listen, and he does it by grace, through faith. Now, when you get saved, God doesn't do less for you. In fact, God expresses his love for you more. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died to pay for your sins, past, present, and future. Right? Somebody said, my future sins? Well, he better have, because when he did it, all of them were future. He died and paid for our sins, past, present, and future. He demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners. Another place it says that we were enemies of God. We were far from God. We were going the opposite direction. How much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, from the wrath through him. So the Bible is telling us that now that we're right with God, God's not going to do less. But we think, well, if I've blown it here and I've done this wrong, I've done that wrong. The Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. One of my mentors was down in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, pastored for many years, was a missionary for many years. And uh, his name was Lester Summerall. And he, he told this story. He said he was sitting at his desk and he had an appointment at his church and a woman came in in her early 70s. And uh, he said, well, what's happening? But why are you here? And she said, well, I committed adultery. And he said, well, Grandma, tell me about it. And she said, well, when I was in, when I was in college, 
She said, I, I had an affair with the professor. And he said, stop. He said, uh, when did this happen? And she said, well, it was 50 years ago. And he said, you're telling me right now about something that happened 50 years ago. Did you become a Christian? Yeah. She says, I became a Christian. He said, well, did God forgive you? She says, well, I think so. She says, but what I did, it bothers me every single day of my life for 50 years. And as a result, she wasn't able to receive from God. Listen, not because of what she'd done, but because of the condemnation that she was carrying. She was coming to God based on her performance. And uh, if you knew Dr. Summerall, he just rebuked that thing in Jesus' name and laid hands on her and sent her away. He says, you know, you are forgiven. Now, Galatians 3, 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You're blessed with believing Abraham when you receive by faith what was provided by grace. So Paul is having a problem with the Galatians because they started realizing, I receive everything by grace. But now they're trying to receive stuff based on merit. And so he said, oh, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So did you get what God has given you, salvation, because you obeyed a bunch of rules and regulations, the law, the Old Testament rules and regulations? Now you say you mean the Ten Commandments. That's part of it. But there's actually 613 commandments if you count them out. There's more than 10. But he said, did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive salvation? Did you receive it because of the works of the law, because of the things that you did, your performance, or was it because of grace and that you heard and you received by faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He's saying you started, you received salvation by grace through faith. That's how you started. But now do you think that your relationship with God is based on your performance or is it based on what God did for you in Christ by grace and you receive it by faith? So they were beginning to believe that it was their performance, what they did. They were going back to the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 28. Let me give it to you. Now it shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all. Everybody like circle that in your Bible. All his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God has set before you, set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now notice this is you have to obey all the commandments, all of them. Now, I, I don't know if I was 11, 12 years old. I was playing with my neighbor across the street. His name's Jeff Blake. And we were at their house and we had some marbles. Like, you realize this, that young men, their frontal lobe is not totally developed in their brain. And they just do stupid stuff. So we're throwing these big marbles at their house. 
You say, why? I don't know why. I was 12. My frontal lobe was not developed. And, and I don't know how I did it, but I, I missed the house and I hit the picture window. But only in the corner. And it was only a small crack. But Mr. Blake said, we had to replace the whole window. And it cost a lots of money. All the money I had and then some. That's what the law is like. The Bible, the Bible says if you break one part of the law, you've broken it all. It's just like a picture when you say, well, I haven't done this or that or this or that or that. I only did this. It doesn't matter. Any place that you break the law, you've broken the whole law. It says you have to obey all the commandments in order to qualify for the blessings. Romans 10, 4. Listen. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness or for right standing with God. You do not today become right with God based on your performance. You become right with God based on Jesus' performance and receiving what he did for you. Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh or no person will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now get this, for all of human history, no person is ever going to be right with God because of what they did. Nobody will ever say, no one, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, not the Virgin Mary. No one will ever say, God, I was perfect. I did everything right. That's why you love me. That's why you bless me. That's why I'm saved, because I'm so good. Nobody. Notice, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, Paul said it this way. I wouldn't have known I was sinning except the law said you shall not do it. The law was never given to make you right with God. The law was given so that you'd go, I'm a mess and I need a savior. That's why God gave the law, so that you would know you needed help that you needed a savior, that you could not save yourself. Romans 3.28, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You're not made right based on what you've done. You're made right with God apart from what you've done. It's by faith in what Jesus has done for you by grace. Now notice Colossians 3 verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We know we got saved by grace through faith, not because of our works. And as you received him, that's how you live in him. That's how you walk in him. Everything we receive, it's not because of our performance. It's by grace, unmerited favor, undeserved, unworked for. And you just believe that God loves you and did it for you and receive it. God doesn't grade on a curve. Well, I'm better than them. Well, you hypocrite, doesn't matter. Because God's not basing your blessing on your performance. James 2.10, for whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point is guilty or has broken all. So you, you, you have to understand that there's a huge gap difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Most Christians just think there's a blank page in between the two, and that's all the difference there is. But everything changed. Everything changed when Jesus went to the cross. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I'll start here just to get the context. So when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. All these things are from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ Jesus did. For God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself. Now, now, now you need to, like if you've got a Bible, this needs to have stars and underline and write about this, okay? No longer counting men's sins against them. Got that? God is no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he's given us to tell others. We're Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you as though Christ himself were pleading with you, be re receive the love he offers, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, listen. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. And then in exchange, he poured God's goodness, God's righteousness into us. So at the cross, God dealt with the sin issue. And he took all of your sin and poured it into Jesus. And that's why Jesus died. But he took his righteousness, his right standing with God, and gave that to you. It's the great exchange right at the cross. The result is, because Jesus paid for sin, God is no longer holding people's sins against them. The devil tells you, you did this, you did that, God's mad. No, he's not. He's not holding your sins against you. He's blotted them out. I know that may be revolutionary for some of you. It may get your brain going. But that is what the Bible says. That's what Jesus did. He took your sin to the cross. He paid for it. It's paid for. If you go to the restaurant and somebody else pays your bill, you don't need to. Several years ago, I was down here at the, what do they call it, the Texas Cattle Company or something, having a steak with somebody from church. And, and those of you who know me well know that I like ketchup. And so I baptized my steak. Not like a, a Presbyterian, but like a Baptist. By immersion. Got done and, and asked for the, the, the bill. I was going to pay the bill. And, and the waitress pointed to a guy and said, oh, he paid your bill. I look at him. I don't recognize him. He comes over and he's got a card and his card says, he says I'm the Heinz ketchup salesman. He said, I've never seen anyone enjoy ketchup as much as you. And I, I, I had to buy your lunch. He said, what do you do? And I told him my pastor, he came and got saved. And two weeks ago, we were in Rockford at the Rockford Res and he came up and he said, I'm still serving the Lord. Ketchup man. You know? So God can even use ketchup. But listen. He paid my bill so I didn't have to. He paid so I didn't have to. See, what Jesus did, he paid so you don't have to. So the Bible says Christ redeemed you. He bought us back from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, 
In Deuteronomy 28, it says you need to obey all. And if you will obey all, then it will come to pass that the blessing will come on you. But Jesus redeemed you from the curse. So that's all. It says that the blessing of Abraham might be yours. That's verse 14. So that blessing, let me just read it to you. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. Blessed will be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. Blessed will you be your basket and your kneading bowl. That's kind of like your, your check account and your retirement funds. Blessed will you be when you come in. Blessed will you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise up against you to be defeated before your face. And they'll come out against you in one way. They'll flee before you seven ways. And the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all that you set your hand to do. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And he will make you the head and not the tail, above and not the beneath. And the Lord will grant to you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give. You know, when the curse is gone, all that's left is the blessing. And he redeemed you from the curse that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. I tell you, that's good news. God's not holding your sins against you. That's the devil who's the accuser of the brethren who tries to bring up your past. And by the way, when he brings it up, just remind him about Revelation 20, verse 10, which says that he, the devil, will be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. His future is not looking good. All right, but yours is looking awesome. The blessing is yours because, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. He redeemed you from the curse that the blessing might be yours, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus fulfilled that law for us, that we would be redeemed from the curse, that the blessing would be ours. If you be Christ, Galatians 3.29, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The blessing is yours. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? You may be here today and the devil has been beating you up maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years, maybe for decades, telling you what you've done has disqualified you. God's mad at you. God's not going to receive you. But it is a lie. The Bible doesn't tell us good people go to heaven. The Bible tells us forgiven people go to heaven. That everyone's welcome. Everyone gets in the same way. Everyone can meet the requirements. This is what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through all of my efforts could never make me right with God. All of your efforts could never make you right with God. So Jesus said, you must be born again. What does that mean? It means give him all of your heart, all of your life. Turn your back on your old life. Stop living to please yourself. The Bible says to as many as receive him. It's not that you know about God, but you know about Jesus. It's when you receive him. Receive him as your Lord, your Savior, and live for him. To them he gives the right to be the children of God. 
You must be born again. And if you haven't given him all of your heart and life, you still have it. He's not a thief to steal it, a manipulator into tricking you into giving it. But you need to get right with God today. If you're away from God, or if you don't know where you stand with God, so many people say, well, I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian. I hope I'm right with God. The Bible says know that you have everlasting life. And if you do not know for sure you're forgiven, right with God, on your way to heaven, you're not where you should be. And this is for you. You need, you, you need to get right with God. You need to receive him today. So I'm going to count to three. When I say three, lift your hand. We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you in this place. And when you leave, you're going to be right with God. As you lift your hand, you're first saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart, all of my life, holding nothing back. Two. Get ready. As you lift your hand, today you're saying, today I'm receiving Jesus. He's coming into my heart going to make me a new person on the inside. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. I'm going to be right with God. I'm going to be a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, just lift it up high. Lift your hand. Say, pray with me. I am not right. I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand. Are there others? Include me, Pastor. I'm not where I want to be. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Up in the balcony, some others. Include me. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else. Include me. I'm not right. I want to get right today. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Would everybody please stand, but nobody moving, please. Unless it's absolutely necessary. Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is? Bring the person you came with. Bring your purse, your coat, whatever you need. But make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We're going to wait for you. We're going to pray. And God is going to meet you right here. When we say amen. Your past, it's going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day. From the balcony, please make your way. We want to pray with you. God is going to meet you. Jesus said, confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This is literally the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. Your life is going to change. Your destiny, eternal destiny, is going to change. All right. Romans 10, verse 13 says, Whosoever, that means you, will call on the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise to you. Will be saved. When we say amen, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. He's going to make you new on the inside. He's going to put his life. You're going to be his child. Right? Now, notice he said you will be. Now, it doesn't matter how you feel. Because God just made you a promise. He said, you do this. You will be forgiven. You will be right with God. Thank you for making it from the balcony. Again, one more. Come on down. Thank you. God bless. All right. Everybody, please just take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. And let's pray with all of these that have come to give their lives today. To say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. 
I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart, all of my life. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That you blood washed me from my sin. I'm forgiven. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome.